Welcome to the Men's Health Unscripted Podcast with Patrick and Cam. We're focused on everything on men's health, looking at your emotional, your physical, and your spiritual well-being. You're going to take care of that and make sure you keep on going. What's going on, guys? It's June, so you know it's Men's Health Month, and we are going to reframe the way you're thinking about men's mental health with our guest, Matt Stefanko. He's the CEO of a company called Manual. We're going to hear all about it and the ways that him and one of our great podcast guests, Dr. Justin Human, are helping change the way people see men's mental health. So, Matt, thanks for coming on the show. We, we're really excited to talk to you. Um, tell us a little bit about how you got into the, the men's mental health space. Yeah, th- thanks for having me. And I think it's a great month to be doing this. And I think one of the reasons why we're trying to have more conversations about mental health during this month is I think sometimes um, men, when talking about health and men's health, uh, we get a very specific end of the stick in the sense of it's, well, you know, a lot of conversation about check your prostate and not enough conversation about what's going on with men in, in total. And that's not to say that men shouldn't be uh, paying attention to their prostate in men's health month, but there's so much uh, uh, else going on, um, uh, with men today. And so, so being able to talk about that and focus on that area, I think is really important. Um, yeah, there, there's a couple of reasons why we started manual and sort of my foray into this topic. Uh, I can give you a little bit of the personal background and I'll talk about how sort of professionally I've, I've found my way there. Um, the personal background, I, I grew up in a, um, uh, a smallish town, I guess it's getting bigger in Minnesota. Um, but I was surrounded by a lot of men um, that were, uh, you know, my grandpa was a long haul truck driver. My uncle runs a hardware store, uh, you know, lots of folks with military background. And I didn't grow up in an environment in which those men were sharing what they were going through. Um, I think my perception of them growing up was that they weren't going through anything uh, that was difficult. I, I still that's still to this day sort of all I know. I, I imagine that not to be the case. Uh, like most people, uh, they've probably gone through things that are difficult. Um, but that was the environment in which I was sort of raised in. I uh, personally struggled with mental illness and, and anxiety from a, from a really young age. And uh, like them, uh, never really opened up or talked with anyone about it. I was getting good enough grades in school that uh, the conversation was never really about doing anything other than going to college. Uh, not a lot of conversation checking in on me or anything like that. I mean, I sort of struggled in this silence for a pretty extended period of time. And then even when I got to college, um, there was an element of uh, substance misuse and all these sorts of things, which I'm, you know, can get into as we sort of, you know, dive into the conversation. But uh, it took me a really long time to get help, um, to start going to therapy, started being open to, you know, with myself, with myself and the people around me about what was going on. And, uh, I think I had a couple of close calls, you know, and I think that that I feel really lucky that I got through that situation. Um, but I know of other stories of other young men that I've met or have heard of uh, that had very similar backgrounds to me that aren't here today anymore. And I think we continue to see that happening. So so anyway, that that's sort of the personal passion behind the topic and certainly can talk more about that story if interested. But I think the sort of professional orientation is that uh, when I started paying attention to my own mental health, I, I wanted to work in, in the field. And so I moved to Baltimore City, took a job in their health department, leading their opioid policy response. And I've been in sort of this world of behavior change and health promotion. And how do you convince people to take care of themselves and their communities on these topics um, has been something that I've been doing now uh, for, for, for really most of my career. Um, 
previously I was at a nonprofit called Shatterproof. I was leading their anti-stigma and health promotion efforts. We were, you know, big multi-million dollar campaigns uh, in in the state of Kentucky, the state of California, et cetera. And time and time again, we were seeing that uh, the campaign was extremely successful, except for one demographic group. And you can probably imagine where I'm going here, but it was young men sort of aged 18 to 35. These were the guys that we couldn't figure out how to touch on these sorts of topics and get them engaged. And it had me start thinking about what was going on with young men in our country as it reflects, you know, my personal background and personal story. Uh, I'll, I'll rattle off sort of a few statistics, but, you know, young men in our country are four times more likely to die by suicide than young women. They're three times more likely to die by overdose than young women. We're probably within five years of a situation where our college graduation is going to be two thirds female, one third male. So, so not only are men struggling with behavioral health issues, they're starting to disconnect from institutions that that I think we all agree are um, important uh, for us to continue to kind of see, develop and, and foster. Um, you know, one of the, the statistics that I find most stark, but when you actually look at sort of the race in context of these sorts of things, you start to see even scarier kind of statistics and stories. You know, our black male graduation rate, our six year graduation rates, so there's a number of guys that start and finish within six years is 36% in our country. You have about a one in three shot when you start your freshman year of college. If you're a black man in in the country, it's it's just an unacceptable number, um, and there's a lot more that we can do to work on and sort of fix that issue. And so anyway, that's the kind of professional motivation, and then then obviously the personal motivation and being tied into it uh, so intimately um, informs a lot of the work that we're doing with Manual. So I have a question, and it's kind of been brought up a couple of times in in different uh, segments in this conversation. Is you initially thought you initially said you weren't really struggling in school. So people kind of put it to the side. Didn't, you know what I mean? It like, didn't really, uh, what is it? Raise any alarms. Now we're also discussing how young men are becoming slowly disconnected from institutions like, you know, going to college or grad school or whatever, and uh, maybe pursuing some of that self betterment in the younger years. You know, is it, do you think there's some kind of correlation that the that the kids or young men are just kind of getting through school, like, let's just get the hell out of high school. And if I do good enough, then people will just like, leave me alone. I mean, do you see kind of a connection there with how young men are just kind of getting by just skating through? And then it's like, you know, what are we doing after? And then where is, you know, have you seen where maybe is the disconnect with the institution? At some point, you got to be losing trust in institutions or maybe listening to too many Instagram influencers telling you that you're going to be a real estate mogul. I mean, I don't know, yeah. but <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Bitcoin, big thing, <laughs> you know, but there's like, there's a lot of value in an education. I mean, it might not be what you end up doing for the rest of your life, but there's something that changes you. It gives you some things to do. There's a, it's kind of a training protocol for a lot of things. Um, you know, and it, it, it seems like it provide. I mean, it, I think grad school probably saved my life, you know? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a great question. I think it's a combination of, of the two things you mentioned, right? I mean, I think we as a society in such a big, in a big, in a big framing, but, but sort of let's, you know, even a sort of in a smaller framing, let's just think of institutions, right? Are, you know, the institutions that are responsible for raising our young adults, in addition to obviously parents and family units, et cetera. And that's, you know, certainly a part of the conversation, 
do we have enough dads out there that are talking about these sorts of topics that are that are engaging men on that? So it was all of that to the side, because I certainly think that dads and fatherhood and, and sort of uh, the, the adage that sort of uh, hurt men, hurt people uh, is certainly something that I think our young men are experiencing. Why do we think if we know that there are older adult men that never uh, engaged or acknowledged that they needed to get help or that high school or college was valuable, if they didn't think that, why would their sons be thinking that, you know, when they're 15, 16, 17, uh, presuming that those dads are even around, right? We know that a lot of young men don't, you know, are, are, don't necessarily have male role models in their life or, or male role models that are accessible. Um, I think the, the, um, the, the, the sort of two pieces that, that I would sort of touch on is, yeah, the, the lack of our institutions connecting with young men and figuring out how to meet them where they are. And then also uh, young men for, for uh, not the first time, but in a really big, big way, being fed alternatives that are really unproductive, right? So if you're in high school or if you're in college, we know that from sort of a, a brain development standpoint that men are uh, further behind than women. It takes them that them longer to develop the kinds of things that uh, make them uh, not do dumb things, right? That, that young men do dumber things uh, just based on our, the way our brains develop uh, more later into life than young women. So if you're in the context of a high school or collegiate environment, that dumb thing could be talking in class or it could be, um, you know, getting into trouble with, you know, with, with alcohol use or something like that. And I think largely speaking, our institutions aren't there to say, let's catch you in a non-punitive way and figure out how we're going to get you through. Largely, we're telling these men, don't behave that way. Uh, you've done something wrong. And the, these, remember, are guys that maybe are 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. They might not have ever had an example of a male role model in their life that was effective. And we're telling them, be quiet, You know, sit in the back, don't be who you are. I think that's a really good way to get men to feel disconnected and disengaged. And they say, this thing, this thing where I am is obviously not really for me. Um, and so I, I probably shouldn't be here. Right. And I think that when I talk with a lot of young men across the country, that's what they're saying is like, when I'm in that space, it doesn't feel like it's for me. And so I'm going to go find a different space. Right. Um, and, and then one other kind of, you know, tangent or aside, but uh, when you look at a lot of the resources that high schools and colleges offer, and th this isn't, you know, the fault of the colleges or the high schools by any means, but you look at our counseling workforce in the United States, 80 plus percent are women, and the vast majority of those are white women. And so if you're a 19-year-old Black or Hispanic guy on a college campus, and you're saying, I'm struggling, I need help, there's a good chance that if you walk into the counseling office or the, you know, you go seek out therapy from your university, that you're not going to be, you know, seeing someone that has a shared experience with you. Um, and that's another kind of signal to these young guys, like that this isn't actually for you, right? Um, and, and I think that that's one of the reasons why these guys disconnect. And then you were kind of mentioning, Patrick, or alluding to kind of the the influencers around sort of Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency and how to make, you know, how to make money doing real estate or whatever it might be. I actually think that's not even the scariest thing that's out there. I mean, I don't know how much conversation you all have about people like Andrew Tate or people like Liver King or some of these, you know, social media influencers that have have millions and millions of impressions with young men. And what they're really, really good at, what, what Andrew Tate is good at better than anyone else is saying, you don't fit in over there, but you fit in with me and my culture and what I'm trying to create. So come to my community. And oh, by the way, spend $99 a month on Hustlers Academy, but 
but you know, come to my community. We're going to talk to you in a way that's exciting to you. We're going to show you good looking women. We're going to show you uh, a lifestyle that, that resonates with who you are right now. And it's not going to feel like you're foreign here. And, and so these guys go there thinking that they're going to get something, you know, really positive. And then ultimately they're fed a lot of really unproductive, it's kind of difficult uh, uh, lies, but, but those places are really good at meeting men where they are, even if it's in a really, really negative way. And so if you're a 17 or 18 year old guy and the institutions aren't speaking to you and you're inundated with social media that is speaking to you, where do you think most of these people are going to wander into? And, and when they start to wander into one world versus another, that's when they say college isn't for me. I don't think I should be here anymore. Some of them disconnect completely. I think that's where a lot of suicide and overdose and problem drinking, things like that develop and happen. But I think it's the combination of those factors, right? There's, there's really new negative influences that have popped up over the last handful of years. And our institutions haven't quite yet caught up to the idea of we need to figure out how to engage these men because historically their graduation rates and their enrollment rates haven't been a problem. And so we, we didn't need to solve that problem before. Now I think we do. So actually we, actually, we do have some experience with some of those like um, influencers that kind of create that environment, but uh, something that definitely you mentioned that I feel a lot of people know, but don't say is that it's pretty difficult if you have struggles to go somewhere and then have a white woman try to tell you that she understands and can relate to it. That's definitely pretty difficult because that's, especially in healthcare, that's a big, it's the, it's a huge population of the healthcare workers are white females. So it is difficult as a man um, of any, you know, ethical background to kind of go in there and have someone try to tell you that they understand your struggle, you know, cold cut from your first meeting. So it definitely really puts that offsetting point. Um, but back when you said the influencers, yeah, we, we actually have some experiences with people and, um, it's it's crazy that you know you can run a platform and then offer a meeting, offer some kind of program where you're charging hundreds of dollars for these people that maybe even fly across the country and then potentially do dangerous activities without you know the person doesn't have any kind of medical background, they don't have any kind of like safety background, they're just some guy that you saw on the internet that's charismatic, charismatic, you know, he's got a good good tongue. And then now you're out here spending your money, you're putting yourself in a bad situation. So, and that's us all ages too. That's not even just the young people. There's still older folk who do that, which, you know, past development, you know, they should kind of know better at a certain point, but it's some that we don't talk about as men. So like they find that outlet, that outlook that kind of give them a connection of somebody that they think they can relate to and kind of, I don't want to say create friendships, but get some kind of social connection. Well, we're, we're, we're at a place where, men's loneliness and lack of friends, like lack of a close friend is the highest that it's been in the last, you know, handful of decades, right? And so um, these guys are desperate and they're trying to, uh, you know, cling on to something um, that they're trying to cling on to something that's out there, um, even if that thing is not necessarily uh, the most productive for them, um, they're, they're reaching for it because they're not necessarily being met in a, a big way elsewhere. And so I think, I think you're spot on. And I think to your point, you know, around the, the, the sort of the workforce issue that, 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 that you mentioned earlier, uh, it's something that we talk about a lot. And like I said, it's not, it's not necessarily the problem of these institutions. I mean, I think it's, it's the problem that needs to be solved maybe on a governmental level or a workforce development issue, et cetera. But, um, 
when you think about, you know, even take, um, you know, uh, women's health and, and uh, OB-GYNs and, and sort of the, the history there of, 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 you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago. And I think even today, many would argue that too many of our OB-GYNs are 70 year old white men. Right. And, and that often when a uh, young adult female goes into the office of a 70 year old white man, it's not necessarily that they're going to get uh, bad medical care, but it is there, there's inevitably going to be a disconnect in terms of that person's experience with someone else's experience. And so all the things we've done on women's health in terms of introducing, you know, even the concept of doulas and, and introducing sort of different kind of care mechanisms that allow more women with lived experiences of things like pregnancy, childbirth, et cetera, bringing that person into the room and saying that's going to improve our outcomes. There's a lot of really good evidence that that's the case. For some reason, when we look at men and mental health, we don't say that the workforce and what these guys are seeing will matter. And, and I just don't think that that's probably going to bear out in the long run. I think we, you know, the, we're, we're certainly doing some research on this topic. I know that there's increasingly interest in researching why men are hesitant to seek out help and why that affects outcomes. But uh, it, 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 it re reasons out for me that if we got more men in the sort of uh, therapy, counseling, et cetera, kind of workforce, and that those men were able to make more genuine connections with their clients and the people that they're serving, that that would produce better outcomes and that more men would want to go and have that conversation with people that they felt like could understand where they were coming from. That, 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 that just makes sense to me. Well, I definitely think that there's two like great points that have been made already is that I know when Cam and I started pharmacy school, we're, you know, talking years back now, I think that USF was very unique in the fact that it was 50-50, 50% male, 50% female for the most part um, in our class. Whereas our class was was actually 1% off. It was 51 to 49. Oh, really? Still pretty okay. close. That's, yeah, but I mean, in the world of pharmacy, that's very close because you're generally dealing with like 65, 35 type uh, females to males. And I remember going to pharmacy school and a urologist buddy of mine was like, oh, you're going to pharmacy school, you're going to forget your skirt when you go to class and stuff, just like, you know, making the, oh, you're a girl joke. Sure. And um, I didn't, I didn't get it. And I was like, yeah, well, like, I don't understand what your joke is, but then I get to school and then there's all this like, well, there's definitely a lot of females in, in the world of pharmacy and you kind of start going on rotations and you're like, well, you know what, maybe there is. Um, and then another, you know, kind of another point is, having having people in the like kind of healthcare community that resonate. I mean, when I started going to therapy a few years ago, I mean, to this day, pretty much every therapist I've ever seen has been a white woman. And like you said that, and I was like, huh, that's interesting. And I didn't realize it until you kind of said it. It just, there wasn't that, I mean, that's just like your options. I started using the, the school option because it was yeah. free and affordable and like you're going through and it's like just different age white women. And then finally, like, you know, somebody who is older kind of resonated with me, kind of understood my background a little bit more. So I was like, okay, I'll stick with this one. And then even now my current therapist is a white lady, you know? Yeah. And, and I think when I, even in the search for it, I think that's just like kind of, you know, don't mean to generalize, but it's it's true. And I, I think you make a lot of great points in, in bringing that up, that the, there probably is a huge disconnect for men. being And being even comfortable enough to say something to a woman is difficult. I mean. Well, a lot of these guys, right? Like a lot of these guys, and it's so, it's so interesting, right? Like even get over the stigma of reaching out for help. Like 
a lot of these young men haven't ever had a productive example of how to interact with women in general, even in a non-romantic way, right? They might have grown up only seeing adult men treat adult women very terribly or speak down to them, right? That this isn't universal, but, but certainly you hear about these stories. And so then the idea that that guy would immediately be able to trust a you know, a professional that that really is in a position of power to them to some degree, right? That they're giving advice and they're they're listening and all those sorts of things. And so uh, it's it's a huge issue. And I think at a minimum, right? This isn't to say, and, and Patrick, it sounds like you've had good examples with 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 therapy, and you know, and I certainly have, you know, have have had female therapists that have provided me a lot of help and are are amazing, right? It's not to say that those people can't provide good care, medical care, good advice, guidance to young men. But what I do think it means is that we need to do a better job of connecting and being a translator to these young guys to at least say, hey, it's worth trying this. It's worth trusting this person. With some of the universities that we work with, a big part of our job is just trying to tell these guys that it's okay to give someone a shot. Uh, even if that person might not immediately sort of resonate with you, or, you know, at least visually from that person's lived experience that, hey, this is a trusted person, even if it might seem like someone that's very different from your background, we think you should trust them as guys, right? Like we're, we're sharing that with young guys who are sharing that with other young guys. So, you know, we're not going to, the workforce isn't going to change tomorrow. Uh, frankly, we're probably 5, 10, 15, 20 years from the workforce changing to being more equal. And that's assuming that we do all the right things today, right? Like, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think that that we're going to have a different ratio of therapists in 20 years. But we we have the sort of cards that we're dealt right now. And so we have to we have to sort of acknowledge that that's what the workforce is. And we have to figure out ways to plug in and sort of connect and touch guys on on this topic and say these people are trusted you can go and, and create good relationships with them even if your initial reaction is that person will never understand me well i think it's a, a good point too I don't, i'm sure you guys probably do it but to emphasize that their information is protected uh by hipaa and and those kind of governing bodies right because it's like I think a lot of people and especially younger people don't really know that that exists necessarily. And so when they're having these, you know, conversations they are like, well, is this going to get out? Is this going to become public information? Is this going to say this person going to say something behind my back? And, you know, is there a disconnect with the guy being able to do the quote unquote locker room talk with your therapist? Yeah. I mean, you can't locker room talk with everybody. Right. So, and we found that out a few years ago in, in uh, an election, but or right before one, but the thing is, is that you have to be able to say what you what you want and what you mean. And if you feel like a, in a therapy session that you're holding back something, you're you might get some benefit, but you might not get that full hundred percent benefit or, or close to it, where you're able to you know speak freely and then also get the answers that you need. Well, and I'll and I'll say the example I always give that I think really resonates with people because. It's not something you think about. It's almost like we're so attuned to the idea that men shouldn't be open with each other about what they're going through and that women are open with each other about what we're going through that we don't realize there's this very stark divide happening. But but to your point, Patrick, of the, the sort of issues with how open men are, when I go and talk, you know, when, when I've done work in the past, uh, you know, you know, in and around women's health um, or, or in speaking with young women about 
what was their entry point into the healthcare system or what was the thing that got them to decide to reach out for help? And most often I am hearing it from, from the vast majority of the women that, that I've spoken with on this topic, it's, I have a really good relationship with my sister or I call my mom uh, a couple times per week and she knows everything about me or I've got this group chat with a group of girlfriends and we tell each other everything. And if I'm struggling about any taboo thing, I can go to them. And often they're the ones who tell me and sort of ring the alarm bell that actually what you're going through, it's a bit abnormal, right? Like you actually should get more help. And, and that's often a trigger for, uh, I think, women to go and seek out that more professional care. Men, on the other hand, right, the, if I go and talk with the young guys that we work with, we, we have a little over 8,000 guys on the platform and sort of have had that kind of interaction with these young guys. When I will have conversations with them about who do you go to on these sensitive topics, right? Uh, almost 30% of men by the age of 25, 30 have an issue with erectile dysfunction. Uh, we have, you know, significant double digit percentage of young men dealing with mental health and substance use issues. And I go and ask these guys, like, which of your buddies are you going to? Are you calling your dad up when you're having these kinds of issues? Um, it's crickets, right? They're not having those dialogues. A lot of these guys don't have that that network, but even the ones who do, the guys who are in fraternities, the guys who have those kinds of social networks, they're not having that kind of more intense dialogue that I think women often are having. And so not only is there that kind of trust factor of like, oh, this could get out, but even in sort of a more productive sense of, of the of the of the of of this conversation of like what gets people into deciding they need more help, often it's the people that are closest around you. And if those guys aren't having that dialogue, they're never gonna go and 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 you know, you know, get into it. And so there's just such a fear from these guys that they're gonna be judged by the people around them and that the community is gonna say, I have a more negative perception of you now. Um, and so whether or not that's a fear that's going to get leaked from a therapist or that that some guy is going to see you walk into the therapy, you know, center on campus, uh, that's a buddy of yours, like there's a lot of fear in, in these guys that that could happen. And that, I think, is preventing a lot of that outreach that we need to have happen. For sure. Well, I think a big uh, a big reason behind it, and it's something that I, you know, I feel personally as well. Uh, we spoke about it in the podcast recently is that a lot of a lot of men feel that it's kind of like putting a burden on other people to kind of discuss these issues. Um, because like for myself, like I don't talk to my family about anything like that. Um, because in my opinion, like it's not their business. So like I don't talk to my family about stuff like that. But I do have, you know, we have a group chat, but we could, you know, kind of go into and talk things about we're really, really supportive in the group chat. So um I saw this thing recently where it's like guys have two group chats, you know, they have like one where it's the, you know, it's got a, a, a raunchy title to the, to the group chat, but it's like where all your good support friends are. And then you got one that's like my friends from 9 a.m. Saturday at that place. And it's like your terrorist group that you're talking like just crazy, <laughs> crazy stuff about. Um, so we, got, we have the group chat stuff like that. But again, it's one of those things I got to guys feel is putting a burden on other people. So they don't want to discuss these kind of issues because we, feel that you know as you mentioned yourself you know you grew up in a, a town that had like a lot of manly men there where they're doing these jobs they're having all their stuff kept to themselves no one seems like they have an issue and it's just because you know you don't see that burden being being discussed or being moved around that's what I think a lot of men have uh, that perception yeah look I, I think part of the conversation here is we need to be a little bit pragmatic about uh uh 
masculinity and men being raised in a certain way is going to continue to happen, right? And and that that is going to be a uh, at least for for probably a good portion of our lifetimes. Uh, many men, like I think the three of us, are going to be socialized in a particular way, right? And and I think it's really important. And like I said, you know, a lot of my work is in sort of health promotion. I think one of the things that we get wrong a lot is not matching the message with the audience on these sorts of topics. And so, you know, one of the things that I actually I actually kind of rail against a little bit or sort of have some concerns about is I feel like every time we talk about men in mental health or boys in mental health, I hear this idea of like uh, boys can cry too, right? Like I, I think that's a narrative that gets tossed around a lot. Like when we're trying to do campaigns around men's mental health, it's telling men that they can cry, that they can be vulnerable, all these sorts of things. Well, a lot of guys for 25 years of their lives have been told that crying is like the worst thing that you could possibly show anyone ever. And so if the first message that they're hearing around mental health care is you're going to go into a therapist's office and you to get to get quality help from it, you need to cry. Right. A lot of those guys are going to say, well, I, I don't even know how I would be able to cry. So obviously therapy is not going to be something for me or getting this kind of help is not something for me. And so we try to be a bit more realistic about these. Look, you don't need to go every day with every guy in your life. Tell them about how you're feeling or where you're struggling or be super emotive about what's going on. Like, I think that's an unrealistic expectation. And, and also, I don't think it's necessary to get these guys to get you don't have to super fundamentally change yourself to say, I need to rethink what resiliency is. I need to rethink what my network is in terms of who's there to support me when things get tougher. Um, we don't root for guys to always be struggling and to always have to have conversations with their guy friends about all the bad things that are going on, right? I'm hopeful that more often than not, you can have silly text conversations with your buddies and talk about the game or talk about work or talk about anything else that's going on in your life. It's about saying that when those situations do arise where you do need help, that you can be open with the people around you uh, in a way where you know you're not going to be judged and they're going to step in and care for you when you need that kind of help. And so I think that's just where we have to evolve part of the conversation is we don't need men to start perfectly behaving like women to get them into help and to get them, you know, to get care and to get them to be supportive of each other. We just need to 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 meet them on the topics of resiliency and self-care and all these sorts of things and and get our, you know, get our groups of guys to sort of pivot themselves slightly to be more open and accepting on these kinds of topics. Yeah, I mean, this is personally for me, but I think the boys can cry too message is like super cringe and it doesn't work for me. I mean, have I had a good cry in my life? Absolutely. Does it feel good afterwards and you kind of like get a nice reset? For sure. I do it in private, you know what I mean? And it's just like a personal thing, right? But just, I, I feel like that message, I mean, that message disconnects me and I'm a huge advocate for men's mental health and therapy and all that stuff. And it's just like, eh, that's kind of lame. Um, I've, I've spent, <laughs> you know? I, no, I mean, look, I've spent, you know, I've now, we, we've been, we've been working on manual for about 13 months or so. So we're still relatively new, but I've sort of had the, I've had the privilege of meeting with, with, you know, in dozens of counseling centers across the country on college campuses and every single sign, the messages are, it's okay to be vulnerable, get help. We're here for you, right? Like, it's okay to tell us how you're feeling, right? That's that's the message that if you walk into a physical location, right, that's what you're going to see and that's what you're going to hear. That 
is the, I'll just use myself as an example, right? And not even getting into, you know, sort of other men that I've interacted with, right? But that's the opposite of the way I was socialized. You're taught to figure it out yourself, right? That, that, that getting help is actually a sign of weakness and being vulnerable is not something that you're supposed to do outside of, you know, the, the, the confines of your home, if, if, if even at all. Right. And so, um, if we try to meet people with messages that are the exact polar opposite of how they've been raised for two decades, it's just, it's just an uphill climb, like, like, let alone it being cringe, right. Which I sort of agree with, but like, it's just, it's just going to be difficult. You might eventually get guys there, but it's going to take a lot longer than trying to meet them on the playing fields that they're more used to. And so a lot of the messages that we send and the ones that, that tend to resonate are ones of sort of self-improvement and, and, uh, you know, I hate the word optimization because I think it's always so, I think it's taken in a, in a lot of different ways, but that kind of idea and that kind of mentality, right. You can sleep better. You're going to get better grades. You're going to perform better at your, you know, rec league basketball game, whatever that is. If, if you take care of your mental health or if you adjust when, and how you use substances, right. Like guys are much more, uh, attuned into that. I mean, Justin talks about this a lot. Uh, Dr. Human talks about this a lot of like, uh, you know, getting the guys who are 19, 20, 21 that aren't performing sexually, right, that, that are having issues with erectile dysfunction, the vast majority of them are dealing with issues of anxiety or of substance misuse. One of the best ways to have a conversation with a guy about why they need to take care of their mental health is if they're not being able to perform, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, sexually and when they're having issues with erectile dysfunction, like, when you can have that conversation with a 19 year old guy, like that's the reason why you're struggling to get it up when you're with girls, they're much more interested in having that dialogue with you about how they can fix that problem. than if you say, I want you to deal with your anxiety so that you can get more attuned with your emotions, right? Like the, they're not that excited about that, that dialogue. Hopefully they get there, right? Like I, I, I want more men to cry I think that, 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 that we should, right. That, that being more emotionally vulnerable over time is a good thing to, aspire to but if that's the starting point of the negotiation with these guys you're going to lose every time yeah I, I agree with that and i i think that's kind of a big point of like what we do here too is that occasionally we just we promote healthy food it's it's kind of like a trick it's like all right we'll promote healthy food well it's not a trick because it actually works but we promote this like healthy food healthy shake whatever and then well it's going to help your blood flow you know what that means and yeah. it's like, well, I've just tricked you to, you know, eat more fruits and vegetables and less processed foods. Right. And so it's kind of and not a trick is a bad word, but it's like that this is like definitely a way to get to reach out to guys is like break you break down that superficial cars, chicks, you know, sports, superficial like kind of relationship. And then you start diving into things that actually matter to them rather than the, oh, you can be more in tune with your emotions because they don't really care about that. It doesn't really matter. But the big thing is, is like, well, how, how's my thing working? Oh, well, it's not working because I watch too much porn or because I'm using too many drugs or whatever the case may be. And you're like, okay, well, you know, here's some, here's some easily addressable topics that we can kind of work on that actually can correlate to a pretty direct uh, resolution, right? I mean, you eat, better food for yourself, you're going to have yeah. better erections, you take care of your mental health, you're going to have potentially better erections. So I mean, getting getting to that point, I think is actually pretty intelligent. I can see kind of where Dr. H, you know, probably threw some some strategy in there too. Totally. And it's not all look, it's not 
for a lot of these guys, and I think sometimes we we almost over-index on the guys only want to talk about sports cars and sex sort of thing, right? That 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 sometimes I think we over-rotate, right? It's it's for us, it's not only about meeting them on topics of sex and erections and these sorts of things. That's certainly part of it. But like most guys want to sleep better. Most guys want to do better in the gym. Most guys want to lose a few pounds or put on a few pounds, right? Like uh, most guys would rather be getting A's and B's than C's and D's, right? Most guys would rather make 10,000 more dollars than 10,000 less dollars, right? Like these are all kind of, and I think that's probably most humans in general, but, but just for, for, you know, on the topic of men specifically, that I think is something that they mostly want to do. Uh, and so if you can meet them on those playing fields of taking care of different elements of yourself, right? Not just mental health, but, but, but all different elements, those are going to be able to help you achieve those sorts of goals. Um, I just think you're going to have a lot more success than when you say, Hey, uh, we're going to make you feel better, you know, and we're going to make you feel better and we're going to fix your anxiety. Like, that as an outcome to these guys, even if that's the outcome that gets them all those other things I was just talking about, that in and of itself is not compelling enough for these guys to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to go and take that step to tell someone I'm not doing well so that I can get the support that I need. Oh, yeah. Well, it's a, you know, the, the whole I can fix it myself mentality. So you're not going to if that's the goal that's being pitched to you, you're like, oh, I can take care of that myself and I can, you know, fix that. But, you know, getting getting that relationship with that uh, healthcare provider or that, you know, whoever is offering those services, you want to make that connection. So as males, at a young age, we start, you know, thinking with our dicks, essentially. So if that's the that, that's the meeting point that kind of creates that that goal there, that's kind of what sh- I don't want to say it should be targeted, I guess. Um, but it definitely needs to be more of an open, si- open spot to it because, yeah, you go to a you go to a counselor's office, therapist's office, and it has those signs, like you mentioned earlier. We don't care about that. Like, we're not going to openly care about that. Like, we see that. We're like, ah, you know, it's something that needs to be hidden, kind of like a secondary outcome that you want to happen, of course. But, like, you know, as you mentioned, we're not going to go for that straight away. We want to see the stuff that's on our forefront of our mind that will allow the other stuff to get fixed. And that's... Here's the yeah, here's the one. analogy. Here's the an- analogy I would give, right? That if you're trying to, you know, do repairs around your house or fix a car or whatever, I think a lot of guys that I've interacted with, people in general, but guys too, I think take a lot of pride in uh, teaching themselves skills to figure out how to fix those problems. And then in the scenario where they tried to fix the problem and they couldn't figure it out, they would go to a professional, right? And I think that most men would say, I would much rather teach myself over time how to take care of this thing uh, so that I could do it myself and that I could be self-reliant. And if I need to go and get help, I will, but I'm going to, I'm going to sort of dedicate myself to building skills to fix this problem. I actually don't think that's a bad approach for guys with something like mental health. The problem is we don't teach ourselves those skills over time to prevent us from needing professional help. So we have neither of those things. We neither have the skills to fix the proverbial car and we don't go to the professional to help us fix the problem, right? So if if a guy comes up to me and says, hey, look, therapy's not for me. I don't think it's, you know, what I want to do. Um, and, and presuming that there's obviously not, you know, more significant issues at play, right? There, there's certain times where you absolutely need to go to professionals, whether that be for medications or for more serious mental illness or whatever it might be. But if a guy had a more moderate or mild case of anxiety, depression, he said, look, man, I'm really attuned to what's going on with me, right? I meditate every day. 
You know, I talk with my buddies when I need to about what I'm going through. I do all these things to fix my problem. And so I don't actually think I need to go and get that professional help to sort of fix the the mental health engine uh, very often. I probably wouldn't give them much different advice. I say, I'd say it's that's great that you're taking care of yourself. I think it's great that you've taught these coping mechanisms and these skills to get you through tougher times. And if and when you can't figure it out, you can go to the professional and get that kind of support. The problem is we have neither, right? We have a hesitancy to go seek out help and we've never built those coping mechanisms and those skills for ourselves, or at least many of us haven't. And so we both can't fix the car ourselves, and we have a hesitation to go to a professional. And so what ends up happening, we have a broken car, right? And and I think that that is part of the, the dialogue that needs to shift with guys is that like, if you want to be self-reliant around your mental and physical health, that's not a bad thing to aspire to, but it means you need to invest in time, you know, invest in both time and resources the ability to teach yourself the skill to be self-reliant. You can't just hope that tomorrow it's going to be sorted out, right? That that's where that kind of wishful thinking becomes very, you know, unproductive. That's a fantastic analogy, actually, because that's that's kind of how I am myself. So I will do most things, almost anything, um, try to learn it myself and do it myself. And then I won't call a professional until I completely fuck some shit up. <laughs> so, you know, to keep that with yourself, you know, you think you can fix it. And then, it, you know, with myself there, if you're calling a professional when you've completely fucked it up, you know, it being personality, being a person, that's not a really good spot to be because now your car is not only broke, but your car is fucked. So it's an amazing analogy. If, like if tomorrow, if tomorrow every guy just we turn on, you know, just you know, uh, uh snap our fingers and tomorrow every guy is meditating every day, he's checking in with his friends about you know how they're doing is going on a run, starting to eat a little bit healthier, uh, you know, um, you know, doing some sort of, you know, going on Reddit and trying to figure out or going on, you know, uh, social media and trying to investigate why they might be feeling the way that they are and fixing that problem themselves. Many of these issues that we're talking about would start to dramatically shift, right? So it's not just, hey, all of a sudden we need more therapists, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of ways to, um, you know, get at this problem. Uh, we just have to, you know, figure out how to do it and how to get these guys excited about it. Very cool. So, uh, Matt, let's talk a little bit about Manual. I know that you're the CEO of this platform, and I know that you guys, if uh, I don't know you too well, met you today, but uh, I know Dr. H, and if I know that, you know, he's involved, it's it's probably going to be pretty amazing. So, um, what what is Manual, and tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, of course. And so Justin's uh, um, uh, my co-founder. He's our chief medical officer. Um, and, and I think uh, you, you both alluded to Justin's ability to sort of connect with young men on pretty difficult topics and resonate. I think that that like him as sort of the personification of what we're trying to do is, is a really good, you know, um, uh, it, it's a great personification of what we're trying to do. Uh, Fundamentally, when we looked at all the different problems of, of young men on these topics, and, and we've sort of talked about a lot of this already today, it was that disconnect and lack of translation that was happening with these men that we thought was the biggest problem that we'd be able to solve, right? We're not going to be able to all of a sudden make sure that every counseling center across the country has a male therapist. I would love to do that. When we talk with universities that have male counselors, guess what? The rate of men going to therapy goes up dramatically, right? If we could snap our fingers and do that, we would do it and it would be very impactful, right? But but that's a really hard thing to do structurally. And so for us, it was how do we get more men to be more comfortable 
seeking out help from the resources and the communities around them. One of the really fascinating things on this journey is that high schools and colleges are actually one of the better resource places in our country around mental health care. Almost every college has a counseling center. A bunch now have telehealth options. A bunch have academic advisors and tutors and peer support. You are often living around people of your same age that have similar experiences to you, right? It's actually a really great place potentially to start kind of that self-care, mental health journey, all these sorts of things. Um, unfortunately, our engagement with men in these sorts of resources is extremely low, right? I I've, I've talked with a lot of different counselors across the country. The ratio I've heard is anywhere between three to one and nine to one in terms of women going and getting their services versus men, right? Nine to one is an extremely dramatic statistic, but even three to one is also extremely dramatic, right? That, 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 we know that men are more likely to die by suicide, more likely to die by overdose, less likely to graduate. And at the same time, they are far less likely to go and get the help that is being offered to them, right? So what we wanted to do was build a set of interventions, mostly access digitally. Uh, we did that because for men, it was more accessible and it was something that was uh, uh, gave them a sense of anonymity uh, that was really important, right? And, and a real, you know, the reality of anonymity of being able to engage on these topics without necessarily having to immediately out yourself as struggling with them. And so we started creating content, uh, this kind of masterclass style content that features uh, experts like Justin and, and people who are sort of experts in their field, but but content that is built and designed in a way that is more resonant to men, right? So we've gotten rid of a lot of the, the dialogue around getting help and more, more dialogue around sort of self-care and uh, self-evolution and self-development and all these sorts of things, right? So the language we use is different. We The content is primarily shot with young men who are from a lot of diverse backgrounds, right? So if you're a young guy, you're going to be hearing from an expert that often looks like you or has a similar background to you, and they're going to be using language that is resonant with you, right? We pair that with what we call our men's guides. Um, so, uh, getting to the issue that I was talking about, you know, 15, 20 minutes ago about how men aren't willing to go to other men about the topics that they're struggling with. We've actually tried to sort of manufacture that experience in this platform. So we have young men on our team, they're, uh, college graduates themselves. They, uh, um, they, uh, operate this anonymous chat line. You as a user know who you're talking to, right? You know, the profile of the individual giving you advice but you know that they don't know your profile, right? They, they, unless you give up that information, you know that you are fun, fun, functionally anonymous to them. Um, and, and, and then we surround that with a number of different nudges and kind of behavioral nudges that encourage men to check in on themselves, right? So weekly newsletters, we do monthly live streams. Um, we have a social media channel where we have sort of private content that men can kind of access. So we, we, we really try to surround these guys with different kind of nudges and touch points that make them think about these kinds of topics. Um, and then inevitably, our goal is actually not to necessarily keep them on the manual platform uh, all the time. It's to go and get that help from the community that surrounds them. Right? So a lot of what we're doing in partnering with these universities and with these high schools is linking them into the help that already exists. Right? We're not going in and duplicating resources. We're trying to create health engagement, health promotion, uh, you know, sort of developmental opportunities for these guys to start taking care of themselves and then know when they need to go and get help and how to kind of do that. And so, um, yeah, so it's been a really, it's been a really great, you know, initial, like I said, 12, 13 months. We launched at two universities in the fall, the University of Mississippi and Morgan State University. We went, we went live on October 1st, right? So we're, we're only, you know, eight, 
seven, eight months old. Um, we're on pace to be working with, uh, it looks like at least, you know, 20 universities, potentially more by the fall. Uh, some, some pretty exciting partners. We're, you know, we're working at the University of Maryland. We're working at the University of Alabama. Um, we're working with a number of HBCUs, uh, Morgan State University and Clark University, uh, Clark Atlanta University. Uh, we work with a number of Hispanic serving institutions, Elmhurst, MSU Denver, um, so it's been really exciting. Like I said, we're, you know, we're, we're uh, at a little over 8,000 men enrolled in the platform at these partner campuses. Um, and we've been doing some cool research around it and, uh, and, uh, we're pretty excited about what's to come, but I think, uh, for many of the guys that we're interacting with, we're often the first person that's ever talked to them about these topics in a non-punitive way, right? For most of these guys, the only time they've ever thought about mental health, substance use, et cetera, is I've fucked up. And now someone's telling me I need to go and do this mandatory training. I can tell you from the conversations that I have with these guys, that is not resonating with them. It's not working. It's not sinking in. It, it, you know, they, they call it a joke more often than not. So being able to meet them in a way that is more developmental, more about self-help, more about self-care, um, I think we've had a lot of success with it and and um and we're excited to kind of see what will happen over the next uh uh next few years. Very good. Uh do you think that by having this platform it will influence other men to kind of take the reins themselves and start getting into more uh mental health oriented professions? Is is there any kind of push for that or just like, you know, maybe we'll just uh baby steps for now? No, look, I, I think it's a great, uh, uh, you know, one of the things we talked about, you're, you're getting into more uh, Matthew big idea time than, uh, than, uh, <laughs> necessarily, than necessarily what we do right now. But when I think about all the things and all the reasons, and then Patrick, you alluded to this earlier, sort of the, the, um, the way that people responded to you when you decided to go and, and uh, you know, seek out your degree of, of the, the skirt jokes and all these sorts of things. I think a lot of the reasons why men are hesitant to go into fields of nursing and mental health and these kind of heal jobs, if you've heard of the, of the concept of sort of heal jobs, um, education and and, um, and health and, and all these sort of other professions that, that men go to far less than women go to. I do think that the idea of can you be a masculine nurse is something that runs through the idea or runs through the head of a lot of 17, 18, 19 year old guys. So if manual starts to be able to show that we can uh, uh, convince these guys that there is a toughness in being able to provide to your family and and provide care to people around you, whether that's being a nurse or a pharmacist or being a teacher or whatever it might be. Um, if we're able to prove that in the concept of, of manual in terms of getting help there, um, yeah, I would look, I would love if manual could evolve into something that that begins to solve some of these workforce issues, right? Um, it's a huge problem. It's not going to go away. Um, and, and, and it, and it self perpetuates, right? The, the less men that are, that are therapists means the less men that go to therapy who then decide that it's okay for them to become a therapist, uh, uh, due to sort of unhealthy masculinity that's telling them that they shouldn't go be a therapist or a nurse or whatever it might be. So, um, something needs to interrupt that cycle. I would love if we could be a part of that, that story. We're not, we're not quite there yet. And and I think to your point, um, just seeing if we can get these guys to like take care of themselves a little bit is a big first step, but hopefully we can evolve uh, beyond that. Certainly something we've talked about. Well, based on a personal experience, I have seen some male nurses kick some serious ass. I was on a rotation with a guy that came in overdosing on methamphetamine. So just straight off his wig 
And for whatever reason, I think they lowered the midazolam drip, which is like the kind of keep him sedative from losing his shit in the ICU. And um, man, that guy popped up when they lowered the drip and the male nurse came in and handled it. Got him, got him down, got the Haldol dart like in his arm. I was like, oh my God, this guy's going to beat somebody's ass. So uh, you are not, not tough if you're, uh, if you're a male nurse. I, I, yeah, no, like I mean, it's, uh, are... I don't, I don't really know, <laughs> you know, it's fascinating how these things, but sometimes you have to step, take a step back and you're like, how do we get to the way we view certain things and sort of accept certain things? Like, I certainly don't look at any nurses out there and say, yeah, I don't think they're tough. Uh, that's not my mentality coming out of COVID was, yeah, nurses, not tough. That was not that was not what I was thinking. Right. I was like, wow, those are some of the toughest people that are out there. So why why do we think as men or young men that uh, that going into that profession would show some sort of weakness? I don't know. Right. I mean, there's a lot of uh, dumb things that happen in dumb ways, we think, because of the way we're socialized and the way that gender norms develop and all these sorts of things. So I'm not sure where, where, where the origin of that is. Um, but I think sometimes uh, those kinds of stories, like what you just shared, um, those are the kinds of stories we need to be telling 15, 16, 17 year old guys, right? Like uh, I think uh, if we had more men becoming nurses than taking big bets on dumb crypto, uh, we'd have a lot of guys who were wealthier, who were better, you know, providers to the people around them. Um, and we'd solve a big workforce issue. So, uh, yeah, hopefully we can start that kind of uh, that kind of conversation with these guys. Um, uh, that'd be a great outcome. Yeah, I mean, if you're a male nurse too, you have a little bit of disposable income, so you can keep making those dumb bets. And so, just like you know, you sure. lose your whole yeah. bag, and now you're that's so well. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's the maybe that's the translation point. You can invest more in crypto if you have a steady income from uh, uh, from your nursing job during the day. That could be a good way to meet these guys where they are. I don't know. Um, I'm certainly not going to endorse it, but uh, that might be a good. Uh, <laughs> Uh, um, you know, more money for the fantasy football pot or whatever uh, could sure. be a good way to uh, my, league, my league this year. Everybody's got like adult jobs now, so the league the league fees are going up. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, if you want to keep up with the uh, keep up with your buddies, uh, um, you're going to need to go into one of these jobs. Yeah, no, I like that. So, uh, Cam, you got anything? I'm just saying right now, those damn football rates start going up. My ass might be fucking bailing from that league. I'll tell you that. Like, yeah, I would make big boy money, but shit, I ain't trying to spend it on betting fantasy football. Oh, I told man. my team uh, on the on the fantasy football team. You know, we do these live streams, and it's funny to see which ones guys show up to and which ones don't. And I was saying, I told some of my team, and they kind of laughed at me, and I was like, "No, I'm being serious." I was like, "Could we get some one of these?" Uh, you know, one of these uh, Matthew Berry types, you know, the the uh, TMR kind of people, of, of the, you know, the people who do fantasy football advice. Like, could we get one of them on our live stream to give sort of uh, private, exclusive uh, fantasy football tips? And then in the last two minutes, just tell these guys like, oh, by the way, you should go to a therapist if you want. Like, could that be a good way to <laughs> resonate with these guys, you know, come August, September? So I'll I'll report back on whether or not that's a good way to engage these guys. But uh, it's something we might uh, might experiment with. Who knows? That would probably get some serious traction, though, because like even in our league, I don't take fantasy football serious by like any means. No. But like some of my friends will like do they'll do more research for fantasy football than they did for pharmacy school. So yeah. it is it is insanity. So that'd be a pretty good platform to kind of get. Them I, I think so. Yeah, hey, look, you're 
you're going to get an hour of unfettered access that nobody else gets if you come to you know come through uh this platform and oh by the way we're just going to sell you in the last two minutes on why you should like uh uh you know start meditating or whatever uh, yeah well, well who knows right like uh who knows uh could uh uh, you gotta you gotta throw a lot at the wall and see what sticks, and that could be uh, one thing that we try. Very good. Well, guys, Matt Stefanko, uh, pleasure having you on. We definitely learned a lot, and can't wait to see what uh, your platform manual does uh, as it begins to launch more and more. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys.